Hey, everybody. You're listening to the Legacy Church Podcast. Legacy Church is a multi-generational church that exists to worship God, become like Jesus, and bring hope to our community. Today, we're sharing a message from our current series. We believe that the Word of God is powerful and has real-life application to our lives today. We hope that this message encourages you. Get connected and learn more about us by visiting our website at lgcy.church. Well, hey there, Legacy family. I want to wish you a happy Canada Day weekend. We are online this weekend at our locations, and I'm honored to share with you guys today. I've been having some thoughts lately, and... um, They come from a chapter 16 in the book of Matthew where Jesus talks about this really interesting concept where he gives us keys. And today I just want for a brief time to just talk to you about what this chapter is talking about, what it means, what does it mean that I have keys? Um, So let's just get right into the text. Matthew 16, 18 through 19, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, or son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." Now, when Jesus gave Peter this promise or this declaration, it was on the other side of Peter's confession that Jesus was in fact the Christ, the son of the living God. And for every person that has had this revelation and made this confession that you in fact do believe that Jesus Christ is, is the son of God, that he came, that he died and rose again for your and my salvation. The scripture says that upon this revelation, we are given the keys to the kingdom and that whatever we bind here on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose here on earth will be loosed in heaven. That is a whole lot of authority. Now, the Bible talks about Jesus going into Hades during the three days after he had died and taking back the keys from the enemy. Now, if you know anything about Jesus, he really didn't need those keys, okay? Those keys were for us and he gives them to us. Now, I wanna talk about this because when we're talking about keys, we're talking about authority. We're talking about in the Old and New Testament, it symbolized power. So when Jesus is saying, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom, he's saying, I'm giving you the power of my kingdom and I'm giving you the authority of my kingdom. And Christ's kingdom, in fact, has come already. 
when he came to earth and lived and died and rose again and the church was birthed in Acts. Now, I want to talk about this because so many of us live our lives just letting life happen to us instead of realizing that we actually have power and the authority that the scripture says the same power that conquered the grave lives in each and every one of us. So why do we live as if we're completely subject to whatever life in this world wants to throw at us? Now, Jesus also said, Take heart because in this world you will have many troubles. But he said, but I have overcome them all. And this is the God that you and I serve. And I think part of our problem is we don't actually live like that's true. We just don't. You know, we might mentally say that we have an understanding that we have authority, but we don't live like we have any authority. Now, I want to talk about this because our authority and power as Christians, is not in our human will, okay? Yes, the human will is a very powerful thing and it's very strong. It can endure a lot. But the authority that Jesus is talking about here actually supersedes our will. It goes beyond what any human could ever do on their own. And it's actually authority and power that is completely found in the gospel. Our authority is based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And this is a bit of a return to um, center doctrine here because of there's so much self-will and self-power and all of that stuff out there. I want you to know that the authority and the power that Jesus gave you and I does not function outside of the power of the gospel. Upon Peter's revelation of who Jesus was, he was given power and authority. And what I want to talk about today is some of the areas of our lives that actually keep us undermining the gospel. So the gospel has this power and has this authority, and we've been given the keys. We've been given the keys, Jesus said. So where in our lives do we keep undermining our own authority that we've been given because we don't actually understand that we've got the authority? Now, I want to do a little activity with you. I want you to close your eyes for a brief moment. And uh, I want you to picture yourself in like a cell. Think of a prison cell. Okay, I've been watching the show Silo. So I'm picturing the cell that they go into before they go out into the big bad world. And I want you to picture your cell. Maybe yours is a little nasty and a little dingy. Maybe you got a nice cell and you got a nice bed and maybe you got posters on the wall. I don't know how uh, visual you are. (laughs) But I want you to picture that you're locked up in this cell and I want you to look down in your hand and I want you to see that you're actually holding the keys to get out of the cell that you're in. The cell's locked, but you're holding the keys to get out. And the question I want to ask you is, why are you not using those keys and getting out? 
Maybe you're comfortable there. Maybe it's safe in that cell. Maybe you're in that cell because somebody hurts you and you don't want to get hurt again. Maybe you're in that cell because you're afraid of what life would be like on the other side. Now, you can open your eyes. This prison cell that I'm talking about is not a physical one, okay? It's in our soul. It's in our mind. Some of us are locked up and we just feel like we can't ever get past this like invisible wall that just keeps us from living in the fullness and the abundance of the life that Christ has promised us. Now, some of you might be in the cell because you've never actually said yes to Jesus. And if that's the case, today's your day to say, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I want the keys. I want authority to not just live subject to whatever anybody has done to me. I don't want to be a victim anymore. But if you are a Christian and you are living in that cell, if you feel locked up inside, that cell is walls. It's walls of self-protection. It's uh, sickness. It's disease. It's feeling like everything in your life is just constantly a struggle over and over again. I can never get ahead. I, I read about all the promises of God, but I never actually see them come to fruition in my life. I want to challenge you today that there are likely some major areas where you are undermining the power of the gospel in your own life. Because Jesus took the keys of sin, death, and hell. And there is not one thing that is more powerful than him. And this power lives in us. But if we undermine that power, if we constantly discount it for our own reasoning, our own logic, if we constantly live beneath the power and the authority that we've been given, we're never going to actually see what freedom looks like. We're not going to actually taste the goodness of God in the land of the living. And I want to tell you, friends, that Psalm says that I will taste the goodness of God. I will see it while I'm here alive. Now, not everything that you hope and dream for you, you witness in your lifetime, but there's so much more for us. There's so much more beyond where we are right now. So let's, let's talk about this. I want to talk about the few things that can undermine the power of the gospel in your and my life. The first question I have for you is, are you locked up in shame? Because shame will ultimately always undermine the gospel. And here's why. Romans 8.1 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit, which gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. Condemnation and shame was never something that you and I as Christians were supposed to live under, okay? We are living under the freedom of the gospel. So if you walk around in shame, you are partnering with something that is literally designed to undermine the power of the gospel in your life. And ultimately, it's from the enemy, when you walk around, oh, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I saw that. I can't believe I'm still here. God, you're never going to accept me. I know those thoughts 
are not his thoughts about you. They are not. Isaiah 54, 4 says, do not fear for you will not be put to shame. And do not feel humiliated or ashamed for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth and you will no longer remember the disgrace of your widowhood. This scripture is literally saying, do not let humiliation and shame ruin your life. Because God says that you will actually forget the shame. Some of us are walking around in shame over decisions that we made and things that we did when we were children, when we were teenagers, when we were 22 and 23 years old. Friends, give yourself a little bit of grace and understand that God's power to forgive you is so much more powerful than the thing that you did or the thing that you let happen to you, whatever. I can't believe under my watch, something like that happened. You know what it did? And his grace is sufficient. The cross of Jesus Christ exists for every single one of those things to be nailed to it and erased forever. My father-in-law said this amazing thing a few weeks ago. He said, when we sin, when we do things that we know we shouldn't do that are contrary to the word of God and we ask for forgiveness and we go to God and we just say, here I am, Lord, forgive me. He deletes it. Picture it like a file being dragged into the trash and the trash gets emptied. And you know what we do? We walk around and we're constantly, you know on your iPhone where you can go into the recently deleted and you can recover files? That's what we do on a regular basis. We go into our past, we go into our heart, into our soul, and we're constantly recovering files from the past that God in heaven is like, hello, I've deleted that file. Why are you recovering files that I have deleted already? But you know what? That shame keeps us locked up. It keeps us from being able to enjoy the blessing of God because we don't think we deserve it. I want us to be free from shame today in Jesus' name because shame is not a part of the believer's inheritance, okay? The next thing that sometimes we get locked up in is unforgiveness. And unforgiveness completely undermines the gospel, which is a gospel of forgiveness. Jesus died on the cross and it says he took on the weight of our sin and shame that everyone who was and is and is to come and everything that they would do that we all fall short of God's glory, that he took it on the cross. He took sickness, he took disease, and here we sit and we live in unforgiveness. And Jesus tells this story. And I want to camp here for a couple of minutes. First of all, Matthew 6, 14 says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Now, forgiveness is one of those things that's, it's an exchange, okay? It's never a one-way street. And um, God's very clear 
that when we got the keys, we got the power to forgive. That power to bind and loose, to unlock and unearth and lock up, all has to do with this forgiveness concept. Now we know this because later on, so in Matthew 18, Jesus uses this exact same language and he tells the same story. And he says to his disciples, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, well, you know, write him off, let him go, okay? He's God's problem now. And Jesus says this exact language in verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So Jesus brings in this concept again, where he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Now, what Jesus is saying here is if you forgive someone, if you forgive your brother here on earth, your brother is forgiven in heaven. But the funny part about this statement here is if you do not forgive your brother here on earth, you are not forgiven in heaven. Okay? Because your brother's forgiveness depends on his heart before God. Okay, so this is what I want to say to you right now. Unforgiveness keeps them a debtor of you and you a debtor of God. That's what scripture says. It's very, very clear. Matthew 6, if you forgive, your sins will be forgiven. However, if you withhold that forgiveness towards someone else, God withholds that forgiveness towards you. And do you know why? Because uh, Spider-Man coined this famous quote, the movie, and his uncle looks at him, he says, listen, listen, Peter, with great power comes great responsibility. You have been given the same power and the same authority that raised Christ Jesus from the dead, okay? And that power living on the inside of you has the power to lock things up in other realms. And Jesus is basically saying, listen, I'm giving you this power, but there's a big responsibility that comes with that power. And just like I forgave all of your sins on the cross, friends, you have to forgive whatever is done against you. Now, at the the tail end of this story, Peter hears Jesus say this and he goes, Lord, how often do I have to forgive my brother? And Jesus tells him this story. And I'm not gonna read it word for word, but basically I'm gonna paraphrase it. There's this master and he has a servant and this servant owes him, let's say a million dollars, okay? The servant comes to his master and he's like, listen, I know I owe you a million dollars, but I can't pay it. I just, I can't do it. And the master says, you know what? I'm going to have mercy on you. You don't have to pay that debt back. It's okay. And that same servant goes out from where he had just been forgiven of a million dollar debt. And he has a servant 
that owes him, let's say, $10,000. His servant comes to him and says, hey, I know I owe you $10,000, but I can't pay it back. I just can't do it. And the servant looks at him and says, well, you're going to have to pay it back. And he literally forces that servant to pay him back what he owes. Well, the master finds out about this and he's like, bro, I forgave you of a million dollar debt and you're holding a $10,000 debt over your servant's head. And Jesus ends this parable by saying, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So every time you and I choose not to forgive, I want you to think of yourself as that servant who owed a million dollars and got that debt canceled. Like Jesus on the cross canceled all of our debt. And yet we hold in comparison these small things against one another. Now, some of you are like, well, I have forgiven, okay? You know, I thought in my head every day I forgive this person or I said into the air, so-and-so I forgive you. And I want to tell you that there's not a whole lot of biblical evidence for forgiveness without a confrontation. A confrontation means to come face-to-face with that person. Now, if I jog back here to verse 15, when Jesus is talking about forgiveness... He opens his teaching with, if someone sins against you, go to them and tell them what they have done. That tells me that the process of forgiveness actually starts with a face-to-face confrontation. Now, if this person is still alive, okay, if this person is still within your reach, If this person is not a stranger that you're never going to see again, listen, God has so much mercy and he can help walk you through things that you never actually have the ability to ever see that person again or talk to them again. But Jesus here is talking about somebody that you have an active relationship with or you had an active relationship with. This is your brother or your sister in Christ. This is someone that you are doing life with. And he teaches his disciples that in order to forgive that person, you have to go to that person and you have to have a confrontation. Now, the way this works is very clear in the gospel because when Jesus died on the cross, all of mankind's sins were forgiven. So technically, every single person on planet earth is forgiven by God already. The price has already been paid. However, you do not get to access that forgiveness and experience the benefits of that forgiveness without coming face to face with your creator and recognizing that you have sinned, that you need a savior. And it says to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. So you can't even experience God's forgiveness without a confrontation and a face-to-face in prayer before him in admitting what you've done and asking for that forgiveness. 
So Jesus is literally saying the same way that you have to confront the sin in your own life is the same way that you and I are called to confront the person who sinned against us. But the thing about this is the goal of this paragraph is restoration. The goal of forgiveness is to restore your brother or your sister, to restore the person who's hurt you. And many of us will avoid confrontation because it just might mean that that person makes it right. It just might mean that you actually have to forgive the person to look in their face before God and go, Lord, do you want to restore this situation? Do you want to restore? See, we live in cancel culture. So like if somebody wrongs me, not only do I not confront them, but I never speak to them again. I pretend they didn't exist in my life or I get on social media and I, you know, yap off for 40 minutes, things that I would never say to that person's face. And Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not the way that I do it. You come face to face with that person. You have the guts, friends, to get in that person's face and say, you hurt me. You did this and you did this. And when you said this, it really hurt me. And you give that person a chance to make it right. And you know what? Even if they don't, you get free because you did exactly what you needed to do. And their response is totally not your responsibility. And to be honest, there might never be a relationship with that person like there was in the past ever again, but that's not the point. You got to get unhinged from that unforgiveness. And a huge hindrance to your and my authority and power in the gospel is when we undermine the very heart of the gospel, which is forgiveness, by holding things against people and refusing to forgive them. And forgiveness, like I said earlier, has nothing to do with a mental assent. I can look up into the air and say I forgive anybody, but real forgiveness takes staring that person in the face, confronting, coming face to face with it and saying, you know what, I forgive you. That's real forgiveness. That's real boldness. That's real bravery. But you will stay locked up in that cell with your debts all being held against you if you are holding all of your debts against everyone else. And I know that this is hard and I know it's a process and I know it's a journey. And some of us need some help because we've really been hurt and we've really been disappointed. We've been betrayed. So many of us have experienced things that maybe you need help. Maybe your first step is to go to someone, go to a trusted friend, a counselor, a pastor, and share with them the pain and and get these things unearthed that, that have been buried deep down inside so that you can even have the strength to confront that person. Some of us need time before we confront. But, Without voicing that offense, without coming face to face, you're not ever going to experience that freedom of forgiving that person. So I want to encourage you. I just, you know, I've been through a lot in this last season of my life 
And I've had a couple of moments where I'm not going to lie. I've had the word of God in front of me and I've been reading it and I've gone, Lord, I hate, I hate that this is what your word says. I hate that this is what you're asking me to do. And at the end of the day, I either obey his word and do what he says. And if that means I come face to face with somebody that I never want to see again, or if that means that I have to forgive someone and allow them to be restored and allow, then that's what I got to do if I want to be a Christian. You know, if you don't really have any interest in living this kind of lifestyle, I really suggest you go find another faith. There's lots of other faiths out there that will allow you to stay locked up in a prison of unforgiveness. And what they'll call it is self-protection and self-preservation and self-worth. But that's not our gospel, okay? I've got one more that I want to talk about. And I want to ask you, are you locked up in fear? Because fear will literally undermine the gospel on a regular basis in our lives. Regularly. That feeling, what if I get hurt again? What if it happens again? What if I do everything right and nothing turns out? What if I step out again and I get rejected? There's so many, what if I let my kids out into this big bad world? And listen, there's no shortage of areas where fear just loves to creep in and take over. And um, when you look at what's happening in our world, it's very easy to start to become filled with fear and anxiety, okay? The only problem is, is the scripture I read about 29 minutes ago told me that I literally had the keys of power and authority from Jesus Christ himself. So I'm not sure why I'm undermining my own power and authority that I've received by the Spirit of God by being afraid of things that I've been given authority over. Can you imagine a police officer who's terrified of the person he's pulling over to give a traffic ticket don't you think that's a little weird? Like you've been given authority over something that you're absolutely terrified of, okay? I don't care what your title is or what technical authority you have. You're never gonna be able to have the power in that situation, okay? You can't have power over things that you're completely living in terror and fear of. Now, Psalm 23, 4 I'm going to read us some scriptures that talk about this. Psalm 23, 4 says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay, this is talking about Jesus, our shepherd. His rod, his staff. When sheep start getting a little squirrely, the shepherd just like holds out his rod and just like touches them with it and shows them like, hey, I'm here. I'm still here. I'm still leading this thing. Jesus is doing that on the inside, okay? No matter what valley we're going through, if you'll recognize, if you'll tune in, he's the great shepherd. He's there. He's going, hey, I've still got you. I've got this. Psalm 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This is the Lord that we serve. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. God is our strength. God is our refuge. Psalm 112 says, Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Come on. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. And in the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. Second Timothy says, For the spirit of the Lord does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, of self-discipline. This is what the word says. I'm going to end with this story. Many of you who know me know. But I want to jog my memory back to the summer of 2019 when Matt and I transitioned to take over what's now Legacy Church. And we were so filled with excitement and dreams and ideas. And little did we know that around the corner in March of 2020, that a global pandemic would hit, that where we live in Canada, there were times where we weren't even allowed to leave our homes unless it was an emergency. We're now being kept in our homes and everybody's running around terrified of this sickness and what if we get it? And it was just complete chaos. It was chaos. And... We were like, okay, this is, I guess, the way we're doing this. This is how we're starting our pastoring journey is we're going to pastor our church through COVID-19. And on the other side of that, personally, we just started, uh, it seemed like all hell broke loose in, in our family. And over the course of 2021 and 2022, my side of the family completely imploded. And, you know, my parents who were together for 35 years are no longer together. And, you know, just so much betrayal and heartache and like this family that you thought you had and it all just falls apart. And, you know, not only do we have a family, but we have a church that we built. And for 20 years, there's now 20 years of grief and trauma. And because everyone had two years during COVID to sit at home with them and look in the mirror, now all of this stuff that they've been hanging on to is surfacing and we're walking people through. And then, you know, the hurricane of, you know, events just all culminates. And here I am. And I felt like the story I tell is that I put on a paramedic suit and I had like metaphorical bullet holes all in my body and some broken bones. And I just threw on this paramedic suit and I started running around and making sure everyone else was okay and are we going to survive this? And 
it brings us to the end of 2022 and I've just probably had the worst year of my life. And I was having some pain and I went to the doctors and they sent me for a test and within 72 hours, my doctor had called me and said these words I'm never going to forget. He said, Rachel, you've got cancer. And if I could tell you the amount of times that year that I had said, Lord, I can't take anymore. No more. It's too much. I can't take. And then another thing and then another thing. And then looking in the face of that diagnosis. But here I am. And I love the Lord and I love his church. And I'm serving him with all that I have. And I've seen God do miracles in my life. Miracles in our church in the middle of a mess. The thing about fear is fear is all about preparing you for all the things that could happen and could go wrong. And I can tell you honestly, from 2019 forward, I would have never imagined the things that I faced. They would have actually been beyond my worst nightmares And yet the Lord kept me. He kept our family. He kept our marriage. He kept my children. And here I sit and I can say with confidence and joy that I will have no fear of bad news. I mean, at this point, what else could come that could be any crazier than literally the things that I've faced in the last year and a half? But My heart is steadfast. I'm trusting him. Though, like Psalm says, though the earth might give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea and the waters roar and everything could be going wrong in your life, but it doesn't change. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because he is my shepherd. He is either leading your life or he's not. He is either the God of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, or he's not. He either took every single sickness, disease, sin, shame on the cross, or he didn't. There's no in-between land. There's no a little of this and sometimes that. You and I have the keys. And let me tell you something, I'm not sitting here of my own will. Okay, my own will would have led me straight into a pit of depression and despair and all of the things that come with what the the hurls that are thrown at you in life and the arrows that it is because of the spirit of the Lord on the inside of me. It is because that throughout all of this I made a choice. I got to forgive. I made a choice. God, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be afraid of the next thing that comes around the corner. I made a choice. I'm not going to live in shame. I'm going to not let my past dictate my future because the gospel, the good news that our lives are supposed to emanate is this very fact that yes, in this world, we will have trials and troubles of many kinds. 
But Jesus says, take heart. I've overcome them all. And he lives on the inside of us. So whatever you're going through, you got to take heart. He's overcome them all. And if you have said yes to Jesus, it's time for you to realize that you're sitting in that cell and you're holding your own keys. You're holding the keys of freedom in your life. You're holding the keys to get out of that prison. But you got to use them. You got to use them, which means you got to forgive. You got to let go of the shame. You got to let go of that fear of all the what ifs and realize that your life is in the hands of a good God. And though that might not line up with your plans and your visions and what you thought and what you dreamt, I can promise you that everything that the Lord gives is good. All good gifts come from him. So I want us to take a quick moment as we close. And I want to pray for you right where you are. If you would, just bow your heads. I want you to picture yourself right back in that cell. God, I just ask that you would speak to each and every person under the sound of my voice, that you would speak to them about what they're hanging on to, that you would speak to them now about the places where they're locked up in shame, in fear, in unforgiveness, in hopelessness, in disappointment, in despair. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move right now into their hearts, that you would show them that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you sent your son to die and to be risen again for each and every one of these things. And God, we just ask that you would forgive us for undermining your gospel over and over and over again. We ask that you would forgive us for the ways that we've partnered with things that are not from you. And we ask that you would help us to forgive Help us to use these keys, the keys to your kingdom, the power, the authority to bind, to loose, to lock and unlock. That we would use these keys for your glory. That we would realize the power and the authority that we have because of you, Jesus. That we would start to see freedom that the walls of self-protection, that the walls of fear, that the walls that we've built to keep space between us and being hurt by others, God, that they would just fall down today, that we would just surrender and that we would take these keys and unlock the door, that we would step out today in freedom, that we would step out of whatever cell, whatever thing that's keeping us locked up, that we would step out into a new level of freedom, a new level of joy. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. To hear more, subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on our website at lgcy.church.